This podcast is brought to you by the Albany Public Library Main Branch and the generosity of listeners like you. What is a podcast? God, Daddy, these people talk as much as you do. Razib Khan's Unsupervised Learning. Hi guys, you know that genetics plays a huge role in our health, and more people are using genetic testing to determine risk for diseases like cancer for themselves and their kids than ever before. So I want to tell you about ORCID. It's the only company that does whole genome testing for embryos, testing before your child is born. If you're doing IVF, this is a clear choice now because now you can reduce risk for thousands of single gene disorders, including heritable forms of autism, pediatric cancers, and birth defects. Check them out at orchidhealth.com. Hey, everybody. I am here today with the Unsupervised Learning Podcast, talking to Richard Hanania, who has been on this podcast before. Uh, you can find him on Substack and on Twitter, but you can definitely find him right now uh, in his book, or uh, he wrote a book, The Origins of Woke, Civil Rights Law, Corporate America, and the Triumph of Identity Politics. It's out right now. It's from HarperCollins, Broadside Books. And um, I guess the uh, you know some of the arguments in this book uh, Richard, uh, have already been out there. You've already made. So people aren't going to be entirely shocked. It's mostly a extended narrative length uh, uh, exposition of your ideas. And you have written a post on Substack once about maybe why books are overrated. So, uh, you know, why don't you rehash your justification for this book? But also, I think one, one way to explain this um, and uh, is this is kind of a, a bit of an inversion of the Breitbart maxim of politics being downstream from culture. You're really focused on politics and law. Um, I will be posting a podcast tomorrow uh, with Christopher Rufo, uh, which is about the same topic and is much more about culture. So um, I think uh, uh, listeners will um, find an interesting uh, compliment there. Um, you're not necessarily against uh, culture, but uh, you're definitely focusing on the politics. Um, for the non-American listeners, of which about that's about you know, probably like a third to a half, I forget. Um, talk about the 1964 civil rights law first. Uh, tell us uh, what it is, what its significance is, and then you can get into your argument about how it's. Uh, you know, I'll use the word leverage to be neutral. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. So Razib, I mean, I'm glad you asked that about the book and about like my past writing. Um, uh, making the arguments before I did, you know, I do think that the book is worth, uh, worth reading, even if you're a you know follower of me, because you are getting the history. Like I, you know, I, I do sort of connect the lines that, uh, you know, on tweets and on Substacks. Uh, but here I'm giving you like, I'm making a social science argument. Here's why I think it's causal. Here's like a theory of how people think that like culture changed in this way. And here's like what the law did. And then when the law did this, here's like what like some academic literature says about what happened to institutions. And here's some stories and here's some data and you know it's 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 really worth reading don't think like you have the whole story just from the twitter or something there's a lot of stuff that was held back uh that's only uh you know being presented in the in the book um and so yeah rufo is you know it's also good that you bring up rufo um, i had an interview with rufo on my uh, own uh, podcast and i had a transcript on it on the Substack. so we got into that a little bit like you know sort of the compare and contrast uh our views for approaching this topic um 
And so, yeah, for the non-American uh, listeners, this is not going to be a surprise to most Americans. Civil Rights Act of 1964. This is sort of like, you know, America has, you know, like we have a foundational myth, you know, the founding fathers and, you know, no taxation with rep- without representation and the Revolutionary War and all that. But in the minds of educated Americans, and you, you probably can get a sense of this if you're just observing this from abroad, it's probably not that hard to see. Um you know the the founding uh, the founders among our elites are not as you know the the founding actual founding of the country is not nearly as emotional or central to their identity as the civil rights movement of the 1960s. Uh, so you know you insult George Washington versus insulting Martin Luther King. There's no you know there's no comparison there. Uh, so what elites you know see as sort of the centerpiece of American history is the black experience, um, particularly the Civil Rights Act of 64, and that goes along with feminism too. Um, you know how we started you know the that was the generation we started overcoming our sins. Um, so the 1964 Civil Rights Act, it was um, soon after uh, Kennedy was assassinated in 63. Uh, Johnson comes in. Johnson is a much, you know, is a sort of a less glamorous figure than JFK, but sort of a smoother operator. Uh, you know, the Southern, the Southerners, he was a Southern senator to be a Southern senator. In those days, you had to be, a, a you know, a, a, a solid segregationist. All the Southern senators thought he was one of them. Um, he gets elevated to the end, you know, he's seen as sort of the alternative, the conservative alternative uh, uh, before uh, he goes on the vice presidential t- on the ticket with Kennedy. Uh, but then, you know, Kennedy gets shot and he becomes president himself. And then he pushes through not just civil, the Civil Rights Act, but all kinds of stuff. Um, and this is, you know, this reshapes our politics, this reshapes law. You know, it's, this is the most important piece of legislation, you know, probably in a in, in hundred years or so. Um, and that's sort of the root, you know, the root of everything else that sprung after it. And so, I mean, I think the standard narrative um, that, uh, you know, most Americans know about, I mean, like, let's just set aside the elites. The elites have more knowledge of the history and they have lovers of power, right? Standard narrative of civil rights law, it's good because racism is bad. Um, You know, black Americans did not have the rights given to them that, um, you know, after the Civil War that they should have been based on the constitutional amendments. And so it kind of, it, it, it kind of righted it wrong, right? Um, but, uh, you know, there was also something in there about, um, sex discrimination, um, that was added, which was, okay. My understanding is it was kind of not considered super important. It was considered weird at the time and now it's become a big deal. And so this is something that's like really metastasized from the core. So can you just talk about, um, at the high level, what people think it does? Um, okay. So there's like, I don't know, districts. Okay. Like, you know, you can't like you know do districts in a way that prevent black people from being elected. These sorts of things. Okay, I think that's what people think about. But it does a lot of other things. Can you talk about that? Yeah. Well, that's uh, what you mentioned about the voting. That's the Voting Rights Act, which came around, uh, uh, you know, also during the Johnson administration. And that's you know that that's very weird. I, I just touch on it very little bit in the book, but it's like it's not just you can't you can't prevent black people from voting. It's like you have to draw up black districts where blacks are the majority because they're assumed to be a tribal block that will, you know, that can only be represented by other black people. I mean, it's mind blowing considering like, you know, uh, you know, like the sort of the rest of the American system. Uh, but the good back to the civil rights act. Yeah. So it does a lot of things. Um, first of all, what it does is it ends Jim Crow, right? Uh, it ends the, you know, the, just these, uh, separate, you know, these Southern laws that required blacks and whites to be in separate spaces. So it, it ends that, I mean, there's nothing even, you know, Barry Goldwater voted against civil rights act, but he supported that part of it. Right. So like pretty much no, almost nobody, uh, disagrees with that except the Southern segregationists. 
Um, and so you have that. Um, so you you know you end state enforced discrimination, and then you um, and this was much more controversial. And this was like you know this only became possible after the Kennedy administration um, was to go to private businesses and say you can't discriminate based on race. And you know the idea before that was like that's not the business of the federal government, right? Uh, they had they had some of these anti discrimination laws at the state level, but the idea is if you were a private business, private institution, even labor unions and stuff, they would you know discriminate based on race. Uh, people just didn't think it was the federal government government's job to do anything about this. Um, so it ended that it says, you know, you can't discriminate um, against someone because of race, uh, sex, sex gets in there, you know, it's sort of a joke, but you know, people do vote for it in earnestness. Um, and so that's what we get. And what emerges out of that is not just, and everyone was clear at the time I go into the history of the book, that it, discrimination meant intentional discrimination. I don't want black people around. Um, I just, you know, put up no black sign or, you know, uh, I don't want, I don't want women or I like treat them bad in some way. It, it became very quickly, you know, within seven years um, into disparate impact, which became the idea that discrimination is anything that you do, literally anything that you do. Uh, the standardized test is sort of the, uh, the prototypical example of this, um, but it's, it's it literally applies to anything where whites do better than blacks at any kind of hiring, promotion, firing, um, and it's not that that becomes illegal, but you know the burden of proof shifts onto the employer to show that that there's a business necessity between what you're doing, which is very expensive, and often when they come after you for a uh, disparate impact violation, um, you uh, uh, you uh, you know you usually just fold or you just do something else. Now there's also um, another way the government, another thing that there's that's Title Seven is the employment. In the Civil Rights Act, there's also Title Six, and this is what ends, you know, a lot of the state-based discrimination. It says you can't get you know, you can't get state funding if you discriminate. So, like universities, schools, local police departments, they all receive uh, federal funding at this point. Um, and then again, it's how do you define discrimination? You know, original intent is just basically, you know, discrimination, right? It's like, you know, I don't, I don't like you because of your race, or I don't want you because of your race. It be everything comes out of that, which it becomes, it becomes the same standard, the disparate impact standard, right? Uh, so school discipline during the Obama administration, they went after local schools because they disciplined black kids more than white kids, even if black kids, you know, behave, behave uh, uh, misbehave more. Uh, it's just the idea that this is potentially uh, discriminatory. Uh, Title VI doesn't include women at first. Um, that comes with Title IX, which is passed in 71 under Nixon. And that becomes the source of all the craziness with the uh, the rape tribunals on college campuses. That becomes all the crazy stuff with sports. You have to have a if you want to listen to the rest of the podcast, you know where to subscribe.